Well, good morning. This morning we're going to uh, we're going to pick back up in chapter four of First John, looking at verses thirteen through sixteen. Um, this is a actually from verse seven all the way through to uh, about verse uh, well all the way through the rest of the chapter is is one big section. It's broke down a little bit in, in a couple of different thoughts as John weaves in different different things. But it, it uh, it's one big section. And and last time we met, which was a couple of weeks ago, it, he introduced the fact. Uh, uh, well, again he brought us more information about the abiding Holy Spirit in whom we abide and whom abides in us, and uh, uh, who is the one who teaches us error, uh, truth from error, and uh, uh, and he also, uh, he had also there talked about uh, uh, our having overcome the world, evidences of our salvation is what is what is being being uh, being uh, uh, being given here, and the witnesses that that uh, that uh, that uh, uh, that God has provided for us, and that's what He's going to do in this first section uh, in verse in verses thirteen through sixteen. He's going to give us three more witnesses of uh, of our of of our that testify to our salvation, to being in Christ. Those are those are the things. He's going to do as we as we move into this text and of course he's still building upon the theme that god is love which is why he saved us ultimately and so uh, uh, we're going to be be looking at those verses as we go along as we as we move along this morning okay so as we come into the text we're going to we're going to look first of all at verses 13 through 16 by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given to us his spirit We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him, and and He in God. And we have come to know and believe uh, the love which God uh, has in us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. And He is going to, in this text, give us three, uh, three witnesses uh, to the to the fact that we are in Christ, that we abide in God, that we abide in His love, that His love is is manifested in us. So, uh, all of those things are true of this this particular test in the uh, text. And the first one is the witness of the Spirit in verse thirteen. It says, "By this we know that we abide in Him, that He uh, He abides in us, because He has given to us His Spirit." Which which comes off of. Uh, 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 verse 24 of, of chapter 3, where he, where he told us, And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and we know this, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. And so here he is, he is building upon that, and he's telling us that that indwelling Spirit is, is a witness of our salvation. And he starts out with the words, by this, which refers back to the whole contents of, context of 12 and above, uh, where he's talking about... Uh, the love of God in us, and that that is through the. And here, here he's he's telling us that that is through the Spirit. He's telling us that that love made for us our propitiation from sin, that it turned away the anger of God that was directed at us. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that uh, and that uh, as a result of that, uh, uh, His love is being now perfected in us. Those are the things things He has told us in the in the preceding text, and He says, "By this." 
referring back to that. Uh, if he, he says, if we love one another, God lives in us. That's evidence. The evidence Jesus, Jesus told us that the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the idea uh, that's once again being expressed here. Uh, the love of brethren, the love that is, should be seen amongst Christians is the, uh, is, is the witness to the world of the, in, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within those, even though they probably don't understand that's the reason, that is the reason. He says that love is, uh, 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 is the setting for the confidence we have, because what he is building here on one side of this is the reality of the witness of our salvation, but he's also building the reality of why we can be confident in our salvation, why it can be assured. And that confidence is built as a result of the fact that we, we have evidence that God has indeed saved us. That's, that's the idea here. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. That's what he's saying to us. He, he says we, have, we know uh, that we that we abide in Him and that He abides abides in us. That's what He's saying here. We know that, and this word the know that He's using here is the one to know by experience, by the very experience of work, walking with God. We've come to know this. It, that's the idea here. It's a learned process. Uh, we have learned to know God, and and that's that's what he that's what He's saying here. We, and we have confidence as a result of that of that knowing that He abides that He abides in us, and He is resident within us that's that's what uh, uh, that's what uh, that's what John is is wanting us to understand here he's saying that is a reality in the life of a believer the abiding that we abide in God and God abides in us and he does that through the indwelling of a spirit which is what he's going to conclude this part of the text with this part of the of the verse with he says he says he says, this is how we know, because he has given us his spirit. Once again, back to verse 24 uh, that, uh, of chapter 3. He abides in us by the spirit whom he gave us. That's, that's what he's wanting us to know here. He has a little slight difference here. In, in chapter 3, verse 24, he says, by the spirit whom he gave us. And in 4.3, he says, that, uh, he has given us of his spirit. 24 speaks of the divine blessing. Uh, that uh, that flows to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit pours out God's love to us and reveals that God lives within us. That's, that's the idea of 24. In uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul wrote, and, the, and, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That's, that's the idea of verse 24. The, the love of God has been poured out to us through the, the Spirit whom He has given us. Verse 13 here speaks of the Holy speaks that the Holy Spirit Himself is God's gift. So the idea is the gift that God gave us is the gift that pours out the love of God within us. That's that's what he's trying to say here. In other words, what he's saying in verse 13, in verse, excuse me, in, in chapter 3, verse 24, uh, he gives us the purpose of why why God gave us gave us the Holy Spirit to pour out his love into us. And and in verse 13, he gives us the source, which is the Holy Spirit whom he gave us. That's that's ultimately the difference in these two verses and put together that's what it's saying. What it's saying is is that that he he is both the gift and the source of the gift. 
that we have received through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's that's what he's wanting us to understand in this particular text. And then what we know from this is by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Uh, that's what we know. That's what we've come to experience. That's what we come to know experientially. That we have the imbibe, that we have the Holy Spirit within us. If you walked with Christ for any amount of time, you you come to realize this. Even young Christians realize this right off the bat. But if you look back over your history, you can see those places where God the Spirit has worked in you to bring you to a certain conclusion, to a certain end. If you can't, maybe you ought to check. Did you really receive Christ? Because that's that's the reality here. I uh, I, I have a number of times. Uh, I kind of claim John 10 is a life verse, you know, that we're in the hand of God. Because I look back at my own life and I go, why didn't I do this then? Why didn't I do this then? It's because God's hand was moving me where he wanted me to be. Even before I had received him, you know. You know, how did this happen here and how did this happen there? And, and those kind of things. I've, I think I've told you before, my, if you were a male in my family... You were two things. You were a Methodist and you were a Mason. I'm neither. I'm the rebel, you know. How come? You know, why did I not, why did I not uh, join the Demolay and eventually the Masonic Lodge and all that kind of thing? Like my mother had uh, her father's ring and my, grand, my dad's father's ring that were supposed to go to us, to my, me and my, old, my younger brother. And well, it went to my baby brother that was kind of a surprise, not me. But... Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, you know, why why did that not happen back then? Because God had purpose down the road. I knew nothing about that's that's now that's pre salvation. But ultimately, the, the spirit is the spirit is working in us. Once he worked in us, how is it that, you know, how is it we we find out what God wants us to, to do within his assembly? Now, how do we find those things out? You know, I came into the church. 30-something, and uh, we had moved to, well, well, actually it was before that, but the first church I was actually in was once we came to Bakersfield, and and uh, uh, I looked around there, there, and I, you know, I knew that I needed to do something. There was just this overwhelming desire to serve, and I looked around, and I go, well, what do I know how to do, you know? Well, one of the things they had is they had a big lawn and they had people volunteer to mow it, so I volunteered to mow it. You know, that wasn't fun, because it was a walk behind mower and July and August was not fun mowing that lawn, you know, but nevertheless, that's where I started, you know, that's where I started. And then they had this, they had this uh, Sunday every year. I despise the name of this Sunday, but nevertheless, it was an embarking point for me. It, they called it Layman Sunday and the pastor worked with three guys and they put together a sermon, and each one took one point of that sermon. It was three, you know, three point, three points in his poem. You know, that's anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, but anyway, that's preacher's standard. You know, uh, uh, but but at any rate, it was he he, uh, he he put that together, and I listened to that, and it suddenly dawned on me that it, that the church isn't solely clergy driven. That was that was the thing that struck me. That all the members of the church have a place in it. And and it impressed in my brain that day, next year, I want to be one of those guys. And that's the pastor that encouraged me to, to eventually go to seminary, whether, you know, that, that's, that's the route it took. 
not because of me, because I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't. I'm I'm an introvert. I don't like standing in front of people, except for this, except for this, and and that's that's just that's just. Uh, the Spirit's working in you. That's the idea. You recognize these things. And you recognize that that's, the, that's, the, that's where God has you to go, and that's what He wants you to do. He says He abides in us. He dwells in us. He's at home in us. He's, it's the idea of residency. He is resident with me, and I in Him. That's, that's, that's the idea here. And he says He has given us His Spirit. And the, the He, which is God, of course, is emphatic. He has given perfect tense. It's permanent. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. It's permanent. That's, that's the way this, this text is structured. James uh, chapter 4, verse 5. <clears throat> Or do you think that the uh, <clears throat> excuse me? Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. That's that's the idea. Uh, that God is jealous of His Spirit who He has made to dwell in us. That's what, that's what He's telling us here. So the first the first witness that He that should give us assurance of who we are in Christ is the fact of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, that is an experiential, well, that's an experience that, that causes us to know who we are and know that we, we do abide in him. And then secondly, he goes on in, 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 uh, uh, in, in verse 14, and he says, We have beheld and we bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And here now we have the apostolic witness. That's what he's talking about here. That's what John is talking about here. We, as for us... It's an intense. Uh, 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 it's an intense uh, word that means in contradistinction to others. It means despite all others, we. That's that's the idea here, and he's probably making a reference here to the Gnostics, who, who whose teaching was starting to infiltrate the church. We've talked about this a number of times, and we're going to detail about it. But but once again, John is pointing out the apostolic teaching is the true teaching, not this made up fairy tale that the Gnostics have come up with. You know that that that's the that's the idea here, and you know that's 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 true. That's it's the spirit that helps us to understand error and truth, and to keep us on the right track. Paul commended the Bereans because they checked him. They they compared what he had to say to Scripture. That's that's that that's the important thing. Uh, is that 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 we understand that? And he's saying he's saying. He's saying we, and he goes on to say, he goes on to say uh, that we beheld and bear bear witness that the Father has sent the Son. That's the second thing he says. We beheld, or we've seen. Uh, it wasn't just a glance. This word means an intense, an, an intensely and deliberate contemplation. It means they looked at him. They looked hard. They examined. That, that's the idea here. They didn't just see him walk by. You know, you say, oh yeah, I've met him. No, they knew him. That, that's the idea here. They, they came to realize who they were dealing with. They saw him in the fullness of his reality. That, that's the idea here. And for John and Peter, and for James, 
they saw him in his glory as well at the transfiguration. That, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an action that took place in the past that has a, a persistent existence, existing result. Uh, it doesn't go away. It, it has a present context. Uh, they saw him. That's the idea here. They beheld him. Uh, they didn't just glance at him. They stared at him with intensity is the idea here. And they go along to bear witness along with the Holy Spirit. They bear witness. And the text, of course, here is speaking of John and the other apostles. They witness to and they testify to who Jesus is. Acts chapter 5. Got a lot of chapter 5s to start off this morning. But anyway, Acts chapter 5, verse 29. And Peter and the apostles, and this is uh, after they were released from jail. Uh, Peter and, uh, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on a tree. This one God exalted to the right hand as a leader and and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gave to those who obey him. That's that's what that's what the apostles declared. Uh, we know who Jesus is. He's the one who has ascended to the right. He's the one whom you killed on the tree, whom you put to death. He's the one who was risen. He's at the right hand, and he's the one that grants repentance. That's that's what Paul is saying. Or John is saying, and he says, and we we are witnesses to that, along with the Holy Spirit, with the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a, a second idea that goes along with that. John John in the very first pages of this book, the very first words of this book, in in chapter one, uh, verses one and two, said, "What was from the beginning." What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, uh, what we beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. And what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son." That, that's the idea here. That's what that's what that's what John is saying. You have the apostolic testimony to the reality of the person of Jesus Christ, who knew him is the idea, who were with him, and and here here he is assuring this mutual indwelling from the Holy Spirit uh, that that is the that is witnessed through the Scriptures. John chapter fifteen. Still got a five in it. (laughs) Verses 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is directed at the apostles. And that's what John is testifying to here. Uh, They bear witness because they've been with him from the beginning. That's that's the that's what he's wanting us to that's what he's wanting us to see and understand here. Uh, that's the idea. And he and he says he he says he goes on in verse fourteen and he says that the Father has sent the Son. And this word "sent" is another one of those present tense words. It means he sent him and he sent him on a very specific mission 
which in this case is the incarnation. And it was done in the past that has a continuing result. In other words, the incarnation wasn't just for a moment. It has results today. It continues. It happened at a specific point in time. But it goes. But it's. But its benefit, its reality, goes on. Is the, is the idea he's wanting them to, to see here? It has a continuing result and an, an, an abiding result. And the mission, of course, was to save. That's 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 the idea here. Because he goes on to say to be the savior of the world. He, he says that's what he did. He came to save Adam's lost generations. That, that's that's what hap- That's what he did. He came to bring salvation. That's what, that's what God sent him on this specific mission for. And that's what the apostles bear witness to, which if you've read the New Testament, you know that's exactly what they say. They declare Christ. They declare Christ, the Son of God, crucified, buried, risen, and ascended to the right hand of God and coming again. That, that's the declaration. And that's what he's, that's what he's saying here. Uh, that's what he's saying here. John chapter 4. Oh, I've got it written down here. Never mind. John chapter 4, verse 42. The men of Samaria, uh, when John was in Samaria, or when Jesus was in Samaria, they said this. They said, we have heard him ourselves, and we know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. They recognize that. They recognize that in him. I think it's interesting that the Samaritans recognized it, not the Jews. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they recognized it. Uh, Christ is the only sufficient Savior. And, he's a, and, he, and he has come into the world for that particular reason, to save. Incidentally, the world here, world is used in a number of different ways. And in this particular instance, the world is, is being used to speak of the sphere of lost humanity. He came into our world. He came into where we exist. That, that's the idea. Uh, that's the idea here. That's, that's what he's saying here. So we have, we have the testimony, first of all, of the Holy Spirit who abides within us and testifies to us, the one who corrects error and brings truth, uh, the Holy Spirit. And secondly, we have the testimony of those who were with him, who saw him, who beheld him, who had an intense look at who he really was, and how they spread that to others that they that others saw it too, others who saw him, in this case the Samaritans, who saw him and were with him and heard him, they testified to the same thing. We have, the, we have that testimony. And then thirdly, the third one is an interesting one, because it's our profession of faith. That's the, that's the third one that he brings to our attention, the third witness. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and, and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the love which God has in us, God is love. And, and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So here is uh, your, personal, your personal experience, your personal a profession of faith, if you will, he begins by he, he begins by saying, "If we confess, confess means to speak the same thing. Uh, it's to agree with someone on a certain uh, uh, proposition. That's the idea here. In this instance, being in agreement with a statement formulated by someone else. Hear the doctrine concerning the Lord, John three sixteen. 
that's the idea here. Have we come into conformity with that? Uh, have we have we accepted the free gift of grace that, that that Christ has offered? That's that's what that's what he's saying here. We've confessed that, and what we specifically confess, what we specifically confess, we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Understand that's an important issue in this book. We've talked about that before. The Gnostics, the Gnostics had a problem with that. Uh, they they wanted Jesus to be non-human in some way. Uh, they had different theories about how that was. Uh, some saw him as just this kind of spirit uh, that uh, was a manifestation that was here for three little over three years. Others saw him as a guy who was born to Joseph and Mary, and the Spirit of Christ came upon him at his baptism and left him at the crucifixion before he died. You understand, with both of those, there is no salvation, because there is no Christ. Uh, but but the, that's what the Gnostics thought that was the basic two teachings. And, and, and here he is saying that our profession, our profession is that he is the Son of God. And he, and he says that whoever confesses that, which puts a limitation on who it goes to, it goes to those who confess it. It goes to those who recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. That, that's, that's what it says here. That's the demand, to recognize who Jesus is and accept it. And accept that as an act of personal faith. <clears throat> and incidentally, this construction of this verse makes this, a, makes this confession a definite lifetime confession. It becomes an attitude of the heart. It's not a momentary thing and then I move on to something else. Um, I, was, I went to a, some years ago, I went to a conference, and I forgot who put it on, but it was about missions. And there was a lot of, there was a number of people there who were in some of these, uh, well, this was, this was when the emerging church movement was starting. And there were some of those guys there. And they were talking about how they operated and what they did. And, and this one guy had come to a reality that what they were doing wasn't working because they had, had ministered to a bunch of people who were, Asian of some some ink. I don't remember exactly where they were from, but they were they were Buddhist. They had been Buddhist, and they professed Christ, and and they thought, oh, everything's wonderful. You know, we'll dunk you in the water, and everything's good, and you made a profession, and here you go. And the guy comes to him and says, well, I'm really happy now because now I have Buddha and Christ. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, that's, that's not the reality. This is a hard attitude. This is a dedication. This is the rest of your life on this planet. It doesn't go away. It's a reality. It's a, it, becomes, it becomes a, may I say it this way, it, and I'm not sure this is absolutely theologically correct, but maybe, it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes your person. You know, that's, I think that's the right way to put it. Uh, because he's abiding in you and you're abiding in him. It's an integral part of you. That's, that's, that's what he's saying here. It's an attitude of the heart. Jesus is the son of God. Therefore, he is God of very God. He is the divine man. He is the God man. 
He is he is deity. In other words, to confess Jesus Christ is to confess he is my God. That's ultimately what the, what this is saying here. Robinson in his uh, his uh, his uh, word study said this. He said this confession of the deity of Jesus Christ implies surrender and obedience also, not mere lip service. And he cites 1 Corinthians 12:13 and Romans 10 uh, 6 through 12. In fact, let's look at Romans. I didn't mark that verse, but I like that verse. So. Romans 10. Yeah, 6 through 12. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your hearts, who will go up to heaven, uh, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will go down to the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what, uh, but what does it say? The word is near you, the, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth as Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the person who, for the, for with the heart a person believes leading to righteousness and, and the mouth confesses leading to salvation. For the scriptures say, whomever believes upon him will not be put to shame. That's that's the idea here. We declare who Jesus is. That's the profession uh, that we make. And then in verse fifteen or verse sixteen, he goes on to say, <clears throat> "Excuse me." Uh, he goes he goes on to say, uh, "Say that that Jesus uh, John here broadens the idea." He says he says, "And we have come to know and believe." The love which God has in us. In other words, he he broadens the spectrum now. It's it's all believers that he's talking about now, not just the apostolic band. He says he and he and he says uh, he still uses it in, in an emphatic here to to couple it and he couples it with two perfect tense verbs, which are come to know and and have believed, and includes all true Christians. The point is, you both have to know. You have to have knowledge of the truth but that's not simply enough there's a lot of people that have knowledge of the truth there's a whole bunch of of uh, non-regenerate theologians around that know a lot and they're pretty good greek scholars a lot of them some of them are the best but they don't know jesus they have no intimate knowledge of him they know a lot about the bible they know a whole lot about it but they don't know it uh, that's the idea. You have to have knowledge. You have to have knowledge of the truth, and you have to have belief. You have to believe it. That's the other side of it. You have to absolutely believe it. Uh, John, uh, John six twenty nine, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's where you have to come. You not only have to know, you have to believe. You not only have to believe, you have to know. That's that's the important thing here. Uh, those two things go together. That's what he's saying. True salvation, true salvation is knowing who Jesus is and believing it. That, that's what he wants us to say. And he says, and he goes on to say, and he says, he goes on to say in verse fifteen or sixteen, excuse me, we've come to know and believe the love which God has has in us, and and here here he is saying the love which God has in us, uh, 
is within our sphere, uh, within the sphere of humanity, and within the sphere of saved humanity, the love of God operates. That's, that's, what he's, that's what he's wanting us to understand here. And then he goes on and he says, and the reason that happens is because God is love. One of his essential attributes is that of love. And of course, this is agape. It's the love that, that places value on someone regardless of who or what they are. And it, and, it, and it is willing to sacrifice on their behalf. It is an act of the will. It's not a momentary emotion or even a long emotion. Or even a permanent emotion. It's an act of the will. It's a concentrated act of the will that's willing to place value. Says, you are valuable and therefore I will do for you. That's, that's, that's part of the idea here that he's wanting them to, to understand. Uh, this is the confession that, that has to be made. That was John six twenty nine. That was Peter's confession. Is that that we that we have we have believed and have come to know? That's 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 what he's saying here. He says God is love, and then he goes on and he says, and who and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Once again, it it determines this this demonstrates a personal relationship. Uh, The result of saving faith is a relationship with the God of the universe, which I still after. 40 years now of teaching Bible and still amazed at. God wants that relationship with me? That's just amazing to me. It's astonishing. But he does. That's, that's what this says. That's what this says. And he's at home. And it's a, a habitual love uh, that uh, that is to be visible in us. It is to be something that, that the world sees, that love abides in us and he in him. The world should be able to recognize that. They may not recognize it in the sense of knowing the full extent of what it means, and it may be recognized in the sense that they don't like you and they persecute you, but it should be recognizable. That's the idea here. I, um, my computer comes up. Now, I'm no computer genius. I barely can turn it on. But nevertheless, it comes up to some page. I think it's MSN or somebody like that. I don't know who it is. But anyway, it comes up to that page, which I immediately go somewhere else. But nevertheless, it comes up to that page. And they have news on there. And I've noticed over the last, I think, two weeks, almost every day, there is some article with a title that has something to do about Trying to discredit something to do with the Bible. Every day. That's the world we live in. And, and we're bombarded with that. But the love of God holds us. And we know Him. Because He, he is resident with us. And we are resident with Him. We are at home there. That's the, that's the idea that's being expressed here. So as we come, as we come to the close of, of uh, 13 and 16... Here we have our assurance, and it's based in in a relationship. It's it's based in the witness of the abiding Holy Spirit resident within us. He has a relationship with us. He's resident within us. And it's verified by the the words of testimony of the apostles concerning Christ. This is how God communicated to us all of the things about Christ through the apostles who, who, who wrote the New Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and then he goes on to say, and they led the whomsoevers 
to confess, which is us, incidentally, uh, to confess Jesus is the Son of God, to understand that He is the divine person who came to save the only one who could. We understand that, and that's evidenced by we now have a relationship with God, which is seen in our expressing love for one another, the godly love. And from that, it should build a firm basis for your assurance of who you are in Christ. That's, that's what John is wanting these people to know. People that are under attack from people who don't know these things. And that's, that's, what he's, that's what he's wanting them to understand. Then he goes on to the benefits, then, of our assurance in verses 17 and 19. <clears throat> and he says here, by this, once again, by this, uh, based upon these relationships that we have, uh, based upon based upon the evidence of the Holy Spirit, based upon the evidence of of the of the uh, of the uh, apostles, based upon the evidence of your own personal prof- profession of faith, based upon those things, by this love has been perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So so here are, are some benefits then. By this, love has been perfected in us. Uh, with us or with our cooperation and participation with God in the process love is completed it's probably another word for sanctification here in the sanctification process love is being perfected within us that's that's the idea here and he says it's made perfect which is a a perfect tense once again Uh, it started and it will have a finished result that's that's the idea here it doesn't mean it's absolutely without flaw in this life. It doesn't mean that. It, it means it's the ongoing process of making it a reality, a, a more and more a strong reality in your life. It's, it's confirming it in your life and, and growing you closer and closer, as Paul said, being changed from glory to glory. That's, that's, the, that's the idea that's being expressed here. It's being, it's being perfected. And, and it means it's something that happened in the past that has a current, a current present result. It happened when you were saved. The love of God came into your life. And since you were saved, it is being perfected in you. That's the, that's, that's the idea here. And, and that it's a continual process. And, and, of course, that love is produced in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the idea here. Uh, and he says, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. He says, confidence, boldness. It's, it's a word that means freedom of speech. It, it, it's, it speaks of being unreserved in our, in, our, in our speech because we have nothing to hide or nothing to be ashamed of. It's, 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 it's what gives us in this life boldness before the throne of God Hebrews 4.16 we can now come boldly before the throne of God you understand you have to you have to think back to that you look at that verse and you think oh that's great that's a great blessing but understand in in pre-New Testament days in Israel you didn't come boldly into the Holy of Holies 
Well, if you did, you didn't come out alive. You know? In fact, even the high priest, they tied a rope on him and put bells on his skirt. Because just in case he messed up and he was dead, nobody could go in and get him. They drug him out. You know, and you, you just think about that for a minute. That's the holiness of God. And that holy God, through Jesus Christ, says, Come to me. Come talk to me. Come have freedom of speech before me. That's in this life. This goes on to say that we can have boldness in the days to come, in the day of judgment specifically, he says here. That's what he says. He says that we'd have confidence in the day of judgment. In other words, we've been passed from judgment. What he's talking about here is he's saying there's a day coming when this big throne is going to be set up and the unsaved world will pass before it. You have confidence not to be there. Ultimately is what he's saying. Because you have passed from judgment. Jesus bore that. That's, that's, that's the point he's making here. You're, here's the benefit of assurance. You're not going to come into judgment. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, you have confidence in that day. You, you, you have confidence in the day of judgment. In chapter, uh, in, in chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 28, John wrote, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he is manifest, we have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. That's what he's talking about here. We will be able to stand before him confidently. Confidently. With boldness. With freedom of speech. Nothing to hide. Unashamed. We can be open toward God. And we have that, and believers have this confidence because they have placed their trust and their faith both same thing, uh, in Christ, which came solely by God's grace. And it was able to give us life and life eternal. That's, that's, the, that's, that's what he wants us to understand here. And then he has this, this phrase, and he basically and he says this. He says, because as he is, so also we are in this world. Understand, he says, as he is, he doesn't say as he was. He says, as he is. Uh, And basically, it's speaking of our treatment as sons, is what it's talking about here. Uh, But it has a a very specific context. The idea idea here is that just just as Jesus is the embodiment... Of the visible uh, to the world of the visible God who is love, believers now are, in a sense, representatives of God to a lost and dying world. That that's the idea here. Uh, we we have become the visible expression of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's an awesome responsibility. That's an awesome responsibility. First John three two. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been manifest as yet what we will be. We know that when He is manifest, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. 
And we're in the process of being made Christ-like through sanctification. And, and that is to be seen by the world. That, that is part of our assurance that we are beca- becoming more and more Christ-like. And then he goes on in verse 18, and he says, There is no fear in love. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. Understand something. When it, when it comes to speaking of, of, uh, of fear, uh, it's contrasted with, in this text, it's contrasted with verse 17, with confidence. That's, that's the contrast here. Uh, and, he, and, and fear has, has two meanings. One generally is that we often refer to as reverence or respect or holy fear of displeasing, displeasing God. Sometimes that tones it down a little bit. God is still holy, awesome God, but because of Jesus Christ, we now have entrance and boldness before him. Uh, But we are to remember exactly who it is we're dealing with. You know, it's not... uh, it's not like the Jesus movement did uh, in the '60s. Uh, God is my, or Jesus is my best friend, my good buddy. He's still God, and we're not to forget that. We're not to forget that. But the second, the second, uh, the second use of, of fear is the one we commonly think of, and it's it's alarm or fright, uh, being afraid. Uh, you know, uh, things that go bump in the night. Uh, that that kind of idea, it, it's it's true fear, uh, and, and uh, the word is used in Exodus twenty at the giving of the Ten Commandments in both ways. It's, it's in the in the in the text. It says this: Do not be afraid, frightened. And that's the first place, and in the second place it says, so that the fear of God, reverence, keeps you from sinning. That, that's the idea here. We're not to be afraid of God, but we are to reverence God. Uh, that's, that's the idea. And the reason we don't have to fear God is because he loves us. That, that's, that's, that's what he's wanting us to understand here. There is, yeah. Just a question. So the fear that's contrasted with confidence, is that like fear, dread of punishment? And so that's a third type of fear? No, that's, that would be fear. That would be frightened. Just, Okay, scared. So fear contrasted with confidence is like alarm or fright. Yeah. Okay, versus this other fear, which is fear, like it's reverence for God. Yeah, it's reverence and respect, who understanding who he is, rec- recognize him for who he is. Yeah, but it says, there is no fear in love, but per- perfect love casts out fear. Now, understand that doesn't, that, I've heard that, I've heard that verse used all the time. Somebody says they're afraid of something, you know, well. That isn't what it means. <laughs> it doesn't mean, don't be afraid of getting hit by a car. It doesn't mean that. That will hurt. Uh, what it means is, you have no fear of God. You don't have to be frightened of Him. That, that's what it's talking about here. Because of the perfect love that is developing in you. He loves you perfectly, and He is bringing you to that point. And the idea here is, because of that, you need not fear Him with dread that's 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 the idea that he wants expressed here he 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 puts his contrast is we are not flawless but even at that the love is uninterrupted from god 
And that, and that love is maturing within us as we live out under the direct, as we live our lives out under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. The love that drives us to keep God's commandments. And he goes on and he, and he defines this here. He says, because fear involves punishment. This is how we know the fear he's talking about here. We don't have, and punishment here also equals the word torment, incidentally. Uh, so it's, it's the fear of a slave of his master. It's the fear of a criminal before a judge. Maybe not so much in most of our cities today, but when the law was upheld. It's the fear of a criminal before a judge. It's the idea of correction, punishment, and penalty. All of those have been removed at the cross. We have no dread of standing before God. That's what this verse speaks to. And the one who is still fearful of that, that was his old country and western song, God's going to get you for that. No, that's, that's passed away if you're a believer. Because he says here, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So what he's saying is you haven't matured in Christ. And he's still speaking to believers here because there are believers who are that way. They are fearful. Unfortunately, our uh, our uh, brethren that think you can lose your salvation, they live in fear all the time. God doesn't want you to live that way. That's not the way we're to live. He says, that perfect love cast out that fear of punishment. That fear of torment. The fear of hell, ultimately. Uh, that's cast out. And, and the one who hasn't come to realize that, the one who hasn't been perfected, hasn't grown to that state, uh, that one, the love, the love is, has not properly developed in him. He is relatively immature in his love. It lacks love because because completed love of God in us cast out fear. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not dread. For Yah, Yahweh himself, is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. That's, that's, what, that's what he's saying to us here. That's what he's saying to us. Another benefit of our, of our assurance is we do not face judgment. We, we come before God boldly, with confidence, in love. And then he goes on in verse 19 in this great verse, and he says this, We love because he first loved us. There's the simple fact of the matter is, you didn't come to God because you loved him. He came to you because he loved you. The direction is godly. God came to you. Love originates with God, uh, John 3.16. We respond to that love and then copy it. That's the idea here. We put it this way, as for us, let us be loving because he himself first loved us. And he says here, love is an exhortation. It's a command. And the idea is the love of God in Christ is to inspire love within the believers. That's, that's the idea here. A love that answers a grateful love for him is to be seen in our action toward our brethren. That's, that's, that's what ultimately we're to do. 
Smith in his commentary wrote this, The thought is that the amazing love of God in Christ is the inspiration for all the love that stirs in our heart. It awakens within us an answering love, a great, a grateful love for him, manifesting itself in love for our brethren. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's that's the that's the the ultimate uh, ultimate test here is that we have we have a witness of our assurance, a witness of our salvation in the in the in first of all the Holy Spirit in the in the testimony of the <clears throat> excuse me in the testimony of the apostles and finally in our own personal profession of faith and then then from that we have the basis of our assurance or the blessings of our assurance in the fact that we now have we now can love as God loved and are to love as God loves and as a result of that we can come boldly before his throne and we will stand blameless and not face judgment any comments or questions this morning can you read that little, that little part that you that you read before the end? Where, was it an answering love? Is that right? Answering love, yes. Within us, an answering love. In other words, it responds back to God. Mm-hmm. Let's close. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the assurances that you give us. We thank you that we we have your Holy Spirit testifying to us that we are sons of God. And we thank you, Lord, for the apostolic witness that you gave us that, that brought us to understand who Jesus Christ is, that teaches us and directs us through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and through his guidance in teaching us through his illumination of that inspired word. And we thank you, Lord, that, that we can have assurance through knowing that our professions are true as we see it growing and changing and bringing us closer and closer to who Jesus Christ is. And Lord, we thank you that we no longer face judgment, but we face a loving God who receives us as a father and we are called children of God. For this we give thanks and we give praise. And we ask, and we just ask that the rest of our day will be lived in that love and in that glory uh, would be all be given to our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.